Welcome to the Aging Gracefully podcast. I'm Mary Thompson. And I'm Janae Anderson. Join us as we explore the myths, beliefs, and realities of aging to empower each of us to thrive on all levels, every moment of our lives. We had cousins visiting the other day from across the country, and we were in the San Francisco area. We stopped for dinner, and that was on the way to the airport to to get them on their flight out. All was going well. We were a teeny bit late when we got back to the car after dinner, but just as we were about to take off, I started choking. Just like really deep, horrible coughing like it's something was lodged in there and um, they were looking at me so concerned asking if I was okay and I said well I can talk I must be okay and my sister said no no that's a myth you have to uh, you can choke and still be able to talk really? and and that's what she said so they're all looking at me and I'm coughing like crazy and all thoughts of the airport are gone because we're wondering do I need to get to an ambulance you know what's going on and I and and you know these concerned faces all looking at me and I said okay I said give me a minute and I shut my eyes and I took a few breaths and I just felt into what was happening and I calmed my lungs down. Wow. And I opened my eyes and I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm better. And as we went and my cousin said, you sure you're better? And I said, yes, can you feel it? And can you hear it in my voice? And, and I was better. So it all happened really fast, and I must have only had my eyes closed for 15, 20 seconds. So I thought back on it later, and I went, well, what happened there? And, you know, I'm a longtime meditator. I've been meditating, oh, my gosh, probably 35 years or 40 years or something. So what happened when I look back on it and put it out in slow motion was that I realized I was freaking out and everything was in alarm, and I gave myself the message that I could calm down, and everything did calm down, and I was okay. It was just all those years of practice enabled me to do it without even intellectually figuring it out and to do it very quickly. Wow. And so today, we are talking about spirituality and spiritual practices and their influence on brain health. Oh, I see the connection. Yes, I'm glad you do. <laughs> She's looking at me going, well, what are we ta- why are we talking about that? No, just kidding. So I want to introduce the concept of inner time. Inner time. Inner time. So you know how when we're kids and Christmas takes forever to come? And when we're adults, especially when we're parents, Christmas is like always right around the corner. Right, it's coming up really quickly. Yeah, so there's this inner time that happens that is totally separate from the time measured by the clock in the calendar. And my stud, my research into this is telling me that we, when we're in our stressed out, sympathetic fight or flight state, when we're racing against deadlines and worrying about getting places on time and expanding energy, worrying about things that haven't even happened, what happens to our biological time, what do you think happens? I imagine it speeds up. It speeds up. And so the ability to repair and protect our bodies goes down and we are aging faster. Wow. Yeah. 
On the other hand, in the parasympathetic nervous system state, which is also called the rest and digest state, that is where we are into relaxation, rest, meditation, mindfulness, right? Yoga, Tai Chi. This allows our bodies to work behind the scenes, digesting our food, repairing our muscles and our skin, supporting our immune system, balancing our hormones. So next question, what happens to our internal time when we're in this state? Well, I imagine it slows down. We age more slowly when we're calmer. We do. Doesn't that make you want to be calmer? Well, it does. <laughs> so we often also associate aging with aches and pains and illness, but many of that is just caused by hanging out a lot in that sympathetic fight or flight place. Right. So as we ease more into a place of rest, of effortlessness, then a lot of those uh, stress symptoms decrease. And so there are major, major benefits to being mindful and present as we get older. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that, that I'm thinking of was how I can create that. How could I create that kind of thing? Because I find myself often caught up multitasking and that creates stress for me and then I put more pressure on myself that I have to get this thing done and then I forget something and then I begin to you know be angry at myself and I think that that I'm generating my own stress it's not coming when I was younger it might have come externally from projects I had to complete or uh, work I had to get done and now I'm in charge of that and I wonder how much of it I'm creating it's a really good question I mean a lot of it is habitual we, we get into this whip up the momentum kind of place and um, slowing it down takes more momentum right. than being in the hurry up mode. Mm-hmm. So there are definite ways. I was, um, I was waiting for my computer to log on this morning and um, I was realizing that those little pauses throughout our day are just the most wonderful times to take a few breaths and calm down because of course the mind and the breath um, research has shown are very very related and so as we slow one down the other slows down so those little pauses standing in line somewhere right stop being at a red light mm-hmm. look for it we if we can look for those little pauses in our day then we're already making a huge difference do you think, too, and not trying to fill those little pauses with pulling out my phone, it's like, oh, I'm stuck in line, so I'm going to go check my emails or see if I got a text from that person I'm waiting to hear from, and taking the time to be in that moment and just be in that moment. And it's like paddling upstream, because if you're standing in line and you look around, everybody else has their phone out. Right. So this is a definite statement saying, no, I'm going to do it differently, but once you start, you realize how good it feels, and then you've got momentum going the other direction. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I can slow down. So what you're saying is I can slow down my biological time by being present and aware and slowing down my internal time. Yes. Pretty cool, right? That is awesome. Yeah. And how will this play into my brain's health? Yes. Well, I'm going to talk some more about that. Study show that MRIs done after an eight-week course of mindfulness practice, complete beginners doing an eight-week course, the amygdala appears to shrink. 
And remind me again what the amygdala does. The amygdala is associated with primal fear and emotion. So um, you got bitten by a dog when you were three years old. You see a dog come trotting out and, you're, and you go, <gasps> right? That's that amygdala kicking in saying, be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> and um, and it's, it's the initiation of the body's response to stress. So the amygdala appears to actually physically shrink and also the connection between the amygdala and the rest of the brain weakens. Mm, okay. So normally there can be this conversation, the amygdala going, be afraid, be very afraid, and the rest of the brain going, okay, what do we do, you know? Let's run, let's, let's tense up. But now this connection is weakening and the amygdala does not have as much effect, mm -hmm. as much influence. Interesting. Yeah, so there's that. And then there's more. As the amygdala shrinks, the prefrontal cortex, right, the part of our brain um, associated with higher order functions, awareness, concentration, decision-making, thinking, um, it becomes thicker. It actually thickens. So connections between areas associated with attention and concentration get stronger. Ah, oh, interesting. As you get older, would you like to be able to pay more attention and concentrate? Well, you know, for me, I just got stuck at the amygdala. I'd like to feel less fear and less need to run away or to fight something and have that reaction. Yes, I think a lot of us just habitually run on the fears kicked up by the amygdala. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about a research study that was done one time with someone who is a daredevil. That's a lot of things they were seeing that he didn't have that strong amygdala response and they were showing him pictures that would typically be frightening to someone who had a regular amygdala response and they noticed that he wasn't getting triggered and he responded with you're showing me pictures that doesn't impact me ah. you know it didn't matter what was happening in the picture it didn't trigger him into a fight-or-flight response and I think this is what we're trying to create is that ability to look at this moment and see what is the truth of the threat in the moment I like the doorbell rings and I, my heart races because I don't know who's at the door when it's a non-threatening presence that's at the door. So why do I create that stressful response? Yes, and you know, we can say that, but to actually be able to weaken the amygdala and the connection between the amygdala and the rest of the brain um, is huge. And a simple eight-week course of like 15 to 20 minutes of mindfulness meditation every day if, if, if this little practice, 20 minutes of your day, is going to influence the rest of your life in such a positive way, would it be worth it? Yeah. Well, do you want to talk a little bit more about mindfulness practice? What does that mean or how that, how that might look if I was to start something like that? Can you feel your butt sitting against the chair? I can when I bring attention to it. Can you feel your feet? When I bring attention to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. What like about I'm your breath? Are you aware of your breath? Well, not usually. But now you are. Yes. So you're being mindful. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is simply paying attention. In my yoga classes, I'll often say, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Because often our attention is out with our thoughts. You know, the thoughts are in the past, in the future, creating havoc, <laughs> um, making up things that didn't even happen, sometimes in the past, sometimes in the future. Sometimes with the past, we just rewrite chapters. You know, oh, he said that, so that must have meant that, you know, attaching meaning. Mm -hmm. So in meditation and mindfulness meditation, we take a step back from all of that. We might become mindful that the mind is running off, but we don't get drawn into it. 
So an image of that is we have a clear blue sky and we are the clear blue sky and clouds might come across. Sometimes fierce thunderstorms might come across, but we are the sky. So we can watch it all happen and not get drawn into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think I might have a picture of what that would look like in my day. So this would be a time that I might take aside from my activities or would I do it while I'm doing my activities? Both. So okay. you, you, it, having 15 or 20 minutes of this concentrated time is a huge bonus. It's a great way to start your day. So just first thing in the morning, you know, just sit down and go ahead and do it. There's a great book called Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. <laughs> so instead of like kicking into high gear right away, take a little time, watch your breath, you know, calm down. It's very, very powerful. And then, yeah, to remember to keep practicing in those little pauses throughout the day. I've recently um, noticed my default pattern. Like if I finish a project and be it before going on into the next, I might flip onto Facebook mm -hmm. or check my phone. And I've been calling myself out on that, paying attention to my attention and, um, and stopping and feeling into that pause, that moment saying, well, what is it I really want to do? Usually the answer is so simple. It's like, go lay on the grass for a minute. And really, it's just a minute, and it shifts me, and I'm ready to attend to the next project with full attention. For me, the sentence you said that had the most impact there was, what is it I really want to do? Because I think all of my other things are distractions. It's so that I don't, I, I, I'm not really sure why, but I'm going to pick up my phone and start scrolling some website. And is that really what I want to do? I don't find satisfaction from it. So maybe it's stopping, pausing a minute before I pick up the phone and saying, what is it I really want to do? Or what is what is the effect I really want to get? As I'm, as I'm looking for some, I think some type of relaxation, a little bit of disconnect from the project I'm working on to get a clear thought process. And I find when I distract myself, I don't get a clearer thought process. It gets harder to reconnect with what I was working on. It's ironic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like the mind gets some some sort of reward goes off in the mind when we check our emails and there are emails, you know, but, mm -hmm. but the real reward is putting the dang thing down and feeling into what we really want and need and giving ourselves that. And I mean, sometimes the mind will make up something like, oh no, it's going to take too long. And what I find is that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So be good to your sure. brain and do that. Um, Here's another thing. Oh, I love this. Pain relief. Pain relief. Pain relief. So what they're finding with their research is that advanced meditators, and we're talking about people who, who have meditated like thousands of hours. Advanced meditators report feeling significantly less pain than non-meditators. Hmm. Now, in their brain, that's not what's happening. There's actually slightly more activity in the pain centers, but they're not feeling it. So what they're finding is that long-time meditators can remove or lessen the power of the pain, the power of the stimulation, and thus the stressing nature of it. Hmm. So they alter, again, we're altering a connection between two brain regions, which normally communicate. So they don't block the experience, but they block, they refrain from engaging in the thought processes that would make it painful. What comes to mind for me is when a toddler hurts themselves. 
So I can remember this when Keegan was young, he'd fall down and you could see him kind of look at it and be wondering about it. And then he'd see me and that's when the tears would start. The pain didn't come until there was a connection that, oh, I'm going to get some kind of interaction yeah. around the pain. I don't want to put him off as being really manipulative, but it was, I see that a lot in kids that um, something's not painful unless there's someone to observe it. And so in this opportunity, like a long-term meditator may choose not to observe that incident as painful. I agree completely. That's a really good analogy. And also with the little ones, if they fall and hurt themselves, they'll look to see if there's a concerned look on anyone's face. Right. But if yeah. you just say, oh, well, how did go? let's get up and go do that. Try that again. Then they don't seem to put as much importance on it. Right. So maybe we could do that to ourselves. Exactly. We could. <laughs> and I actually have been working with this pain um, because I've, I've got this wrist thing going on and... Um, when I can not be stuck in the dregs of, oh, this is awful, and all the stories around it, mm -hmm. I'm just fine, and I mm -hmm. sleep fine. I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, the projection that a pain I feel today is I'm going to feel this forever now. That too. So my foot hurts, so I wake up in the morning, and I'm limping a little bit because of uh, inflammation in my ankle, and I assume this is the new normal. This is who I am now. Might as well get the cane, maybe a walker. Yeah, the meaning we attach to it. Right. Yeah. And, and this, this is because I'm old. Right. And then I'm a few hours later, I, I've forgotten all about it, and I'm walking fine, and there's no inflammation. And I don't look at that and think, this is the new normal, <laughs> which is what I would love to do. Yeah. And that's, I think, what I hear you saying is, like, we can switch where we're putting our focus and have a different experience of whatever it is that we are in the midst of. Absolutely. And I imagine then we would feel a lot more calm and happy. Mm -hmm. Right. And the more calm and happy we feel, the better the brain is. The better the brain functions and the happier. It's like we have that contented state of mind, but actually physically the brain is going to age more slowly. Physically the brain is going to age more slowly. Wow. And one more point about what happens to our brain in meditation. Um, so long-time meditators have more gray matter in the brain. And the gray matter link is linked to decision-making and working memory, the frontal cortex. And so most of us, as we get older, our cortex shrinks. Mm -hmm. But when they compared 50-year-old meditators in the study, they found that they had the same amount of gray matter as those half their age. Wow. So... What if I'm not a long-term meditator? Am I going to get the benefits if I start now? Like I said, they started those people on a simple eight-week beginner course, and already they were watching the brain transform. Mm -hmm. And well, they shrinking, prefrontal cortex thickening. So, yeah. Okay, so anytime's a good time to start. Anytime's a good time to start. And just think, mm -hmm. by the time you're 80, you'll be one of these experts. <laughs> I'll be a long-term meditator by that time. <laughs> That's right. Pain? What pain? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, younger people who meditate, there's a sense of striving for some transformative experience. But when you're older, you're much more likely to have in your own life and the lives of people you know serious problems, you know, real stuff going on. And I think that with meditation then we don't sit there wondering well why am I doing this or where's it going to get me it's it's right in front of us and we can see very clearly why we are meditating that's wonderful yeah 
And being just, you know, think about it. When, when we're present and mindful, time is slowing down and we get a much richer experience of life. I love it. I love it too. So, um, you know, significant positive changes in just 15 to 20 minutes a day. And these days there are all kinds of apps that will lead you through meditations. There's community colleges with classes. There are books. There's so mm -hmm. many resources out there to help people get started. That's great. I remember when I was much, much younger and looking to meditate. And uh, all I did was I, I knew I was supposed to stare at some point between my eyebrows and that my eyes got really fatigued doing that and I never really got any benefit that I noticed from it. So I threw it aside, but now I see there's many different meditation techniques and a person could explore and find a technique that works well for them. Yes, there has been most research on mindfulness meditation, but I firmly believe that any kind of meditation is going to be extremely beneficial. And remembering too that mindful movement is just as powerful. So in our regular day, awareness to bringing the coffee cup up to the lips and how it feels when we swallow and just all the small ways we can zero in and be present. That's great. Um, I'm going to ask you, because this one was on spirituality in the brain. So what's the connection between meditation and spirituality? Great question. Spirituality, if you ask me, it's about connection. Um, it's about not feeling like I'm this isolated little person here. It's, it's about knowing that there is a oneness. And whether we call some higher force God or the force or whatever it is, consciousness, um, I believe that a connection with that, I don't even believe it. In my experience, a connection with that um, higher consciousness and that same consciousness that's in every one of us makes life so much more powerful and real and pleasant. I agree. I agree. And we were talking in an earlier podcast about the blue zones and the blue zones have these nine factors that seem to be resonating throughout these areas where people lived very long lives and they lived long lives in good health and good mental health. And one of the common factors was a sense of connection with their community, but also a sense of spirituality, a connection to a higher power. So when we find that connection and strengthen that connection, we do increase our mental and physical longevity. We do, not to mention a sense of well-being. And it's all related, you know? Well-being affects our brain health, affects our sense of well-being. So here we go, cycling round and round. So yeah, a sense of spirituality, whatever that looks like. Sounds good. I like it. Excellent. <laughs> so I think that wraps up our brain health podcasts. Let me say that again. So Janine, I think this wraps up our series in brain health. Unless somebody goes to our website and gives us more ideas. I think it does, Mary. Well, that's great. But then I'd like to invite them to do that. So if you haven't yet done so, please check out our website at aginggracefullypodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe so you can find each one of these new podcasts as they're released. And we invite you while you're there to leave us a comment, a question, or a topic that you'd like us to explore. Thank you for listening. This is Mary Thompson and Janae Anderson signing, signing off. off.